0: You're listening to Moments in the Word, brought to you by Lighthouse Gospel Ministries. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather here among your people this evening. May we be led and taught by your Holy Spirit this evening. May we leave here with a better understanding of what it means to walk as Jesus walked, to walk as Christians, biblical Christians, or to walk in this world as your followers, bearing your name and your image, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Colossians 2, and I'm going to use a couple other verses, but let's go let's and kind, of kind of focus our attention on verses 5 through 7. So let's read that together. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5 says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So in verse 3, and we're going to jump back just a little bit here. In verse 3, Paul tells them that all that a Christian needs is found in Christ. Uh, All wisdom and all knowledge from God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 3, in whom, speaking of Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything a Christian needs to have the mind of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found from pursuing him, okay? This is why the Bible tells us so much to, to be separate from this world, right? I think we've taken that the wrong way a lot of times. And a lot of people, man, they they, they go off on it, Uh they, they, they make up all these weird doctrines, right, to be separate from the world, right? I think, I think of people like some of the Amish and people like that that just dress in these bonnets, and that's their idea. We don't use electric, electrical items, right? We don't use, we use all old-fashioned stuff. That's being separate from the world. That's not what he was talking about, right? That's not what he was talking about. What he's talking about being separate from the world is the philosophies of the world, the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of Christ is opposite of the wisdom of the world, right? So the wisdom of the world tells us what, right? To get, 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 right? You get more by getting more for yourself. The Bible teaches us to give, right? We're to give freely and the Lord will provide for us. Now, I'm not saying health and wealth theology. Or I'm not saying uh, just give and God will give you back. That's not what I'm saying. God doesn't owe us anything. But otherwise, in other words, the way to be wealthy in Christ is to give to others, to be there for the needy, right? Um, so this world teaches us, uh, uh, man. There's a really big kick right now with self-esteem. Have you seen that? And uh, if you listen to podcasts, and uh, if, if you, uh, we have a, I have a podcast catcher on my phone. It's called Podcast Addict. You can download it on your phone. I recommend the Elizabeth Elliot podcast. If you never listened to anybody, listen to Elizabeth Elliot. She was a Christian. If you're not familiar with her, her husband was a, a missionary martyr. That was killed uh, in South America back in the 1950s, and she had an extensive teaching ministry, but she talks a lot about self-esteem, how the world wants to build up our self-esteem. I was at work the other day, and I happened to look at somebody's water jug, and the water jug was just the most incredible thing to me, right, it's like, you can do it, you're the best. You're the best person, for. you're the best you you can be. I thought her water jug is trying to build up her self-esteem, right? (laughs) But, so the world is all about me, Right, get for myself, build myself up, think good about myself, and the Bible is about what? Humbling yourself. Think of others before yourselves. Put others ahead of yourselves. Right. That's think of the weaker brother. Right. So the, the Bible's philosophy of living is opposite of the world's. So when it says don't be like the world, what he's saying is don't think and act like the world. Don't look for the wisdom of the world. Look for the wisdom in Christ. In Christ is all the wisdom and knowledge that God wants for us to have to live our lives. And we have to find that in Christ. Look, it's hidden in Christ. That's what the verse says. Hidden, right? It's hidden in Christ. So you say, why is it hidden? Why doesn't God want us to find it? He does. But he wants us to pursue it. He wants us to seek it. Right? He's not giving it to us. He wants us to go after it. We mine. When you read your Bible, mine from the scriptures, the knowledge and wisdom of God. Okay? Look at what the scripture is saying. Put it in context. Examine it. Say, how does this apply to my life? Where is the wisdom of God uh, in this story or in this parable or in this passage? We're to mine from Christ wisdom and knowledge. It's to be found in him. But God wants us to pursue it, right? He wants us to seek it. He wants us to work for it a little bit. So everything that a Christian needs is found in Jesus Christ. Um, everything we need to find God's purpose for our life, we find in Christ. We don't find it in this world. You know why? Because the purpose of God for each of our lives. And I'm going I'm to drop a bombshell tonight. I'm going to tell you God's will for your life. God's purpose for your life. And it's the same as God's will and purpose for my life. His will and purpose for your life and mine, if you're a believer is to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen. And everything we need to do that is found in Christ. We will not be conformed to the image of the son of God pursuing the world. You know why? Because the world crucified the son of God. Right. They rejected him. They cast him aside. They said we will not have this man to rule over us. So we're not going to find him or be conformed to him pursuing them. right? We must pursue him. We must go to him for that. In him is found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, everything that we need to know about God, God's will for our life, being conformed to Christ, we find by pursuing Christ. In verse four, he says that he tells them this, referencing verse three. So verse three, in whom, speaking of Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, so I'm telling you that, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Okay, so he doesn't want anyone to deceive them with enticing words. Uh, Colossians is written, the book of Colossians, the context of the book is largely about Gnosticism, okay? Um, Gnosticism was one of the first heresies to invade the church, okay? And it was kind of multifaceted, but it taught largely uh, that the human, body, the, the human body was evil, but the spirit was good, right? So you could live in sin, and it wouldn't affect your spirit because the body is just evil anyways. And since the body is evil, God could not have had a body. So Jesus didn't really become a man and didn't really die. He was only a spirit who appeared to be a man and appeared to die. That's why in Colossians you see uh, an emphasis on the body of Christ, right? We're reconciled by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ because he wanted to get across to them that he had a physical body. He's fighting Gnosticism. Also, Gnosticism taught that there was hidden knowledge and hidden wisdom that only the most sacred initiates could reach to, that the average person couldn't get, right? And so, since it was a a religion or a belief of philosophy, there was the ability for them to have these high-sounding words to come in and to entice people away and say, ooh, that sounds smart. That sounds smart. And we have a lot of that today even in our own day, right? So we don't think of Gnosticism maybe as a big threat, but how many people, I, I, I've seen dozens of testimonies of people who leave Christianity and go to Roman Catholicism. You know why? Because they have all the, the big, beautiful robes and the, they wave these censers and the smoke comes out and it's so beautiful and it's so poetic. And, oh, it's just so high church and so, right? It's these enticing things that are drawing them away from the simplicity of Christ. So Christ isn't found in uh, a, a weekly sacrifice, right? We don't, we don't call down Jesus and turn the bread and the wine into Jesus, right? And we don't recreate, re-offer his sacrifice. But boy, if somebody who's looking for something enticing, something that sounds big and, and wise, boy, that sounds really enticing, doesn't it? But that draws people away from the simplicity in Christ. And so in, Coloss- in Colossae, they had a similar problem is they brought in these philosophies of the world, and people thought, boy, that sounds really good. You know what they're really thinking was? Boy, I love my sin. And boy, the idea that I could still be a good person, a righteous person and sin because my body's evil anyways. That was enticing. Yeah. For people who love their sin, for people who aren't really saved, that that'd be an enticing thing. Yeah. Or maybe people who were learned in their mind and you know. What is it, Corinthians, where Paul says the world by wisdom didn't know God. God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. So you get these wise, well-educated who look at Christ and say that's just too simple. That's just too easy. Yeah. Oh, but here's these other philosophy. Oh, that I can do. It. Right? It's it's the Naaman syndrome. Remember Naaman? Right? He's told to go to the Jordan River, dip seven times, and be healed of his leprosy. And that was just a little too simple for him. Surely one of the better rivers. Surely these other rivers are better than Jordan. That's dirty and filthy. Surely if I go to these rivers, I'll be right. And so they hear this simple doctrine of Christ. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. And they say, oh, that's just too easy. But they hear this other philosophy and this hidden knowledge that they can pursue and all this stuff they can do to attain this, like, godhood, right? And they hear that, they go, oh, that sounds good. That That sounds right. But all they're really trying to do there is it's the same lie that he was told, right? right. Just, just eat of this fruit, and you'll be like God. You'll know what God knows. That's enticing. Right. That enticed our first parents, who didn't have a sin nature. Imagine how it entices us today with that fallen nature, right? So Paul doesn't want them to get drawn away with enticing words that sound good, but they lack the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how good something sounds, okay? If it doesn't match up with the scriptures, it's false. God has given us one revelation right here in this book. This is God's revelation to us. Whatever he left out, he doesn't want us to know. Whatever he has told us, he wants us to know about himself, okay? If what we're being taught does not line up with this book, it's false, Okay, the book is never false. You know why? It was given to us by inspiration of God. We know that. Amen. We attest to that. We believe that, right? Amen. We're sure, right? Um, we, we I was preaching at the Santa Monica Pier from uh, uh, John chapter 6. You know, and I get that, that, that end of that chapter, I love the end of that chapter, where they all go away from Jesus, right? And he looks at the apostles and, well, you also go away. And Peter's like, well, who are, who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where else do you go when you're standing before the Son of the living God, right? When his words are the words of eternal life, where where else are you going to go? We have the revelation of God right here. See, the problem in Colossae was these Christians... We're looking for some other kind of revelation, some other knowledge, some way to know the deeper things of the universe that God had not told them. In other words, follow this philosophy and you'll be like God knowing what he knows. The same lie that Eve was told. Same lie that Eve was told. What God wants us to know, he's revealed in his word. If what we're being told or taught does not match up with the word of God, it is not of God. God has not given us new revelation. And he will not give us new revelation. Right. Okay? Hebrews 1 makes that very apparent. He spoke in, in sundry times and diverse manners to <laughs> the fathers through the prophets, right? Amen. He, he spoke through prophet. He spoke through dream. He spoke through all these different ways. But in these last days, He what? Spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So this right here is what God has given us. Amen. We shouldn't go seeking the wisdom of God outside this book because this book is the very wisdom that God has given us. Truth cannot be subjective or it's not truth. Uh, just because something sounds good, a philosophy sounds good to one person, it may not sound good to another. Right. But truth, in order to actually be truth, has to be universal and absolute. Amen. It doesn't matter who it appeals to, right? It's not to t- these preachers don't want to tickle ears. Wait a minute. Yeah. If what you're preaching appeals to everybody all the time, it's not the truth. Because as fallen creatures, we're going to kick against the truth once in a while. I want to hear things preach. Wow, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Truth is not subjective. Truth is absolute. This is the truth of God, whether I like it or not, whether I'm comfortable with it or not. This means there must be an objective standard by which to measure truth. And that standard is the word of God. In chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says that all the fullness of God for the church dwells in Christ. That is, everything that the church needs is found in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Any church, any teaching that diminishes Christ is false on the surface. He is everything to the church. Everything we need or could need as a church or for our individual Christian lives is found in Christ. It's found in the revelation of Christ, which is the word of God. It's the word of God. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. So let's get into verse five in our text. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So he was absent in body, right? In other words, he wasn't there with them in person. Okay, this could have raised some very serious objections to what Paul was saying. He doesn't even know us. He's not from here. By the way, Paul didn't start the church in Colossae. Somebody else did. He says, I think, in chapter 2, verse 1, right? Um, let's see here. Yeah, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for, and for, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He didn't start this church. He had never met these people in person. He had only kept up with their life and their spiritual progress through other people, okay? So that could raise some serious problems as the church receives this letter. Well, you you know, he's not even here, he doesn't know us. Why are we listening to this guy? He's never come here to meet you before. Paul says, I may not be there in body, but I'm there in spirit. We as the body of Christ are united as one, and Paul was keeping up with them by hearing about them from other people, he was, even though he had never met them, he was actively engaged in their lives. He was actively engaged in their growth in the gospel. Okay? He felt very much a part of that church and felt close to the people there, even though he had never met them. It reminds me of an episode of The Andy Griffith Show. You guys ever watch that show? Yeah. There's an episode where a stranger moves to Mayberry. Okay? Ring a bell yet? And he knows everybody's business. He knows all about them, And they're kind of freaked out, like, who is this guy? What's going, is he? I think Barney thought he was a Soviet spy, right? (laughs) Turns out, he's from New York City, didn't have a family, didn't have a hometown he was from, came through town, subscribed to the Mayberry Gazette, (laughs) followed them in the newspaper, found out when the, you know, he knew the the baby's name and she's pushing the baby down the street. He knew about it from the birth announcement in the paper. He knew he kept up with their lives being very far away from them. So when he came there, he tells Andy, well, maybe I got a little carried away. I just felt like I was one of you. I called in my hometown for so long, I just felt like it was. That's, That's how I see Paul relating to Colossae here. Like, I keep up with you so much. I keep up with you in such detail. I know your names. I know... I, he could walk right into their church probably and know who's, who's who. You wouldn't need much of a meet and greet to go on. Right? He's, he's so involved in their lives. He's saying, I'm not far removed from you. He'd been beholding, that is, keeping up with their order in the church, and it brought joy and rejoicing to Paul as if he were there with them. The term order, verse 5, comes from a term for military order, and probably... Uh, references their order in walking and living as become Christians. He's saying, I'm beholding your order, the discipline of their Christian lives. Okay, The Christian life is a life of discipline. It's a life of, of, of putting the body into subjection, right? This body doesn't want to do spiritual things. It doesn't want to walk a spiritual walk. It wants to cleave to the world. I was telling it the folks in Norwalk when I was preaching there, that we're you picture a path right in life and this just filthy cesspool of sin right and no matter how clean i am or how 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 righteous i am in christ i am automatically drawn back to the cesspool constantly right and then, then you get right with god and god cleans you up a little bit and what do you do you just want to jump right back in again right that's what life is And so he's beholding their order, like military order, like saying, you're disciplined. You've got yourself under control. You're not giving in to the lust of the flesh. You're not giving in to those worldly things that pull you away from Christ. You're walking orderly. You're walking strictly after Christ. You're following Christ. You've got your body in subjection under control. That's what he's saying to them. The discipline of the Christian life. Paul compares the Christian life to military service in, in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. It also means their order in the church, having officers and of church discipline, allowing them to identify these false Gnostic teachers and to cast them out of the church. He's saying you're not letting them influence and draw you away, as was happening in other churches. In fact, 1 John is also written to combat Gnosticism. And in John's church, it was a very different story. They faced a lot of people who left. Right? Chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Had they been of us, there's no doubt they would have continued with us. So in John's church, there's people leaving. Paul is looking at the the Colossians. He's saying, I'm beholding you got order. Both in your Christian life, you're pursuing Christ personally, you're walking in holiness, you're not giving in to the world, but as a church, you're finding these false teachers and you're marking them. You're staying together. You're casting them out. You're taking care of business, right? He's watching this. That's what they're doing. Listen, You're not going to have, in any church, a sound church with unsound people, okay? If we, as believers, are not walking in the discipline of the Lord, our churches will never be operating in the discipline of the Lord. I've been in worldly churches. I've been in churches that we were given to splits and infighting. You know what you find when you look back at those? You find that the people were not very disciplined in the Lord themselves. They weren't walking orderly in their personal lives and it came into the church. If we're gonna have a holy church, we have to be a holy people. If we're gonna have a disciplined church, we've got to be disciplined people. If we have a church, or if we have people that love the world, we're gonna have a church that's teeming over with worldliness. But if we have people in our churches who are wholly devoted to Christ, people in our churches who are given over to seeking the wisdom and knowledge found in Christ in their personal lives, what's going to happen is our churches overflow with congregations who seek after the wisdom and knowledge of Christ together. It's going to come in here. What we do out there comes in here. You can't separate the two. So he was beholding or keeping up with the steadfastness of their faith. They were not easily giving in to the false teachers. They were holding on to the faith delivered to them in the gospel. Listen, nothing thrills a minister more than seeing that people are faithful. I I promise you. uh, I I get the same thing when I hear uh, one of my last times in the prison before they closed for COVID, one of the brothers who'd been released sent a letter back in. He'd been out for a year he sent a letter back in to the church there. The church read it in front of everybody. And he had gotten his Bible college degree while well in prison. And now, after a year on the outside, he was associate pastor of the church and raising his family in the Lord.
1: You know what we rejoice?
0: I remember preaching to the guy. I remember ministering to him. I remember giving him counsel and praying with him one-on-one over problems and, and temptations and trials in his life. And now here he is doing the same thing to somebody else. And it brought such joy. Hey, you're out of prison for a year and you are in the church. You're serving. You're preaching. You're teaching. You're raising your family. you got your wife. You, you're, you guys are back together. You're married. you got your kids, right? And you're doing all this. Lord. what joy that brought to hear that. That brings joy. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is thrilled that through the turmoil and the testing and the trials, that they are still disciplined in their life. And that brings it into the church. Now the church is disciplined as well in pursuing Christ. Verse six. So verse five. For though I be absent in flesh, am I with you in the spirit. Because I'm not with you in the flesh, but man, I am there with you. Okay? When you guys hurt, I hurt. When you have a trial, I have a trial. When your heart is broken, my heart is broken. That's what he's saying. I'm so much a part of you that I'm going through what you're going through at the same time. Hey, your church is distressed over these false teachers. My heart's broken over them too. That's what Paul's saying. So I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order, your order, your discipline, the faithfulness of your life through trials, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You've been tempted, you've had false teachers rise up, and what have you done? You've cast them out. You have a steadfast faith in Christ. You didn't cast off your faith to pursue a higher knowledge, right? To seek after the mind of God as they were presenting it. No, no. You've held on to the simplicity in Christ, the faith, believing in Christ. That's what you're holding on to. You're holding on to Him. Realize that He is the wisdom and knowledge of God for us. Amen. And then verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Uh, I think if I were were a pastor leaving a church, that would be my parting words to them. As you receive the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. In other words, continue in the faith that you once received. I think it's in Galatians, right? Remember the Church of Galatia, how burdened they were? They were turned to works, right? To circumcision, these other things. And Paul's like, I'm paraphrasing, but Paul's like, did you begin in faith and now you're turning back to the law? He's like, no. Continue in what brought you to Christ in the first place. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the law that brought you to Christ. The law kept us separated from Christ. We can never keep the law, right? Remember Acts 15, when they're talking about what, what to put on the Gentiles who believe? And the Jews were how it was Peter. They said, are we going to put a burden on them that neither us nor our fathers could, could bear us? Like, we couldn't keep the law. Why are we expecting the Gentiles to keep the law, right? So what he's saying is, as you receive Christ, so walk you in. How would you receive Christ? By faith. Yeah. Simple, childlike faith. You know how you find the treasures a wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ, childlike faith. That's all it is. You know, when I was a kid, I thought my mom and dad were the smartest people in the world. I'd ask them questions because I thought they were the smartest people in the world, <laughs> and I believe their answers, a lot of them weren't, weren't true. <laughs> yeah. Right? You ever hear that in parents? You have that in parents? You look back and you're like, turn off the light in the car or I'm going to get a ticket. You know, you're not going to get a ticket for that, you know. But you believe them, right? As a child, you believe them. That's how we receive the wisdom and knowledge from God, right? With that simple, Lord, what does this mean? What's your will for that? What does this trial mean? What do you want to teach me with what I'm going through in life right now? Just simply, in childlike faith, you go to God for that wisdom and that knowledge, and he gives it to you. He gives it to you. Childlike faith. As you receive the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. We get saved and then we overcomplicate everything. Honestly, walk as ye first believed. In simple faith. In simple faith. The word therefore is always important because it refers back to something previously said. So their order and steadfastness is the last thing that he mentioned. This is the way they receive Christ disciplined and steadfast, right? Disciplined in the faith. They, they, they accepted the gospel as true, and they said to conform themselves to the gospel message. And they were steadfast, right? They didn't they didn't come to Christ and say, well, I will try a little Christianity, a little of the Roman paganism, and a little of the Gnosticism, right? They came just to Christ. They were steadfast in their faith. He says, as you received Christ, so as you were steadfast, and as you uh, believed, as you received the Lord, you have order and discipline in your life. In that way, you're to walk in Christ, the way you first believed. That's the way they received Christ. They were facing a crisis as these false teachers led people astray. Receiving Christ was not enough. i me say it again. Receiving Christ is not enough. We must continue in him. We must press on. We must be steadfast. We must be disciplined. Think about military order. Let's go back to military order for just a minute. I'm trying to, I keep getting sidetracked, but I've never been in the military, but I'm pretty sure just joining the Marines is not enough. <laughs> right? You've got to continue to be disciplined. You've got to go through rigorous training of your physical body, of your mind. Right? It takes a real humbling of the spirit, doesn't it? Amen. Right? Receiving Christ is not enough. We've not reached the goal of, that God has for us by, by getting saved, right? We must discipline ourselves and continue in that faith. We must build upon the foundation of Christ. Yeah. That's what we're gonna do with our Christian lives. Now, when I say receiving Christ is not enough, you must continue in him, I'm not saying that works keep you saved. I'm saying that works demonstrate genuine faith. See, some people think that, that Paul and, 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 and James We're kind of opposed to each other, right? Paul believed in salvation by grace. James believed in salvation by works. No. What James says, what Paul says, what James says is faith, if it's by itself, is dead, being alone. In other words, it's not real, right? What did John say? They went out from us because they were not of us, right? They weren't genuinely saved. That's why they left the faith. They didn't continue in the faith because they weren't genuinely believers. So, in James, you see an example of uh, you know, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, right? And so he, he, he sacrifices Isaac, and then James makes, makes a comment like, uh, I don't want to misquote it, but let me just, let me turn there. I don't want to misquote the Bible, so let me just turn over there. In James chapter 2, I know it's after Hebrews. I know it's in the Bible. After Genesis. So in James chapter two, let me see here. But wilt thou know, verse 20, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect or complete, right? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. What James is talking about there is that we're not justified by the profession of faith, right? But by genuine faith. So Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Sacrificing Isaac didn't justify Abraham before God, right? Abraham believed God. it was counted in for righteousness. But his going forward with the sacrifice of Isaac proved the genuineness of his faith. It wasn't just a profession, a dead Profession. It was living faith. He was willing to put works to it. So works justified his faith. That's what James is saying. That's why we must continue in the Lord, because works justify our faith. Hey, James also says, Do you believe there's one God? The devils believe and tremble, right? So a profession of faith that makes you as good, as holy, as an demon. Because they, they 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 confess there's one God. They confess that Jesus is God, right? So if you confess Christ but live like the devil, you have the faith of the devil. So if we're to be genuine Christians and have genuine faith, what do we do? We continue in that faith. We press on. We we discipline ourselves. We're steadfast in our faith. That's That's what Paul and James are both saying. A salvation that produces nothing is no salvation at all. So Paul commends their faith but balances that commendation with a warning. Do not take pride in past works or past faith. Look to the future. Continue in the path that you started on. Many of these false teachers were once in the church among them. Remember in Acts when Paul told the Ephesian elders that some of their number, some of them, would actually leave and take people with them? Like some of these pastors. He's in a group of pastors, and he's telling these pastors, by the way, some of you in this room are going to go astray and take others with you. Right? That's what he warned them this was coming. He warned them that this was coming. But many of these false teachers proved their faith was not genuine when they left, chasing after the deeper knowledge of Gnosticism rather than uh, the simplicity in Christ. Uh, Christianity is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a battle. It's a war. Continuing in the faith is not optional. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 23. We see it in Hebrews, which is written to Jews who were being tempted to go back to the temple system. Keep these contexts in mind. When you read the Bible, consider the context of the book you're in, okay? Hebrews was written to Jews who were being tempted to abandon Christ and go back to the temple sacrificial system. Yeah. And what does is, what is the, the writer say to them? In chapter 10, verse 35 to 39, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise." Forget a little while; he that shall come will come, will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them which draw back unto perdition, but of them which believe in the saving of the soul. In other words, he's telling these Jews: continue on in the Lord; don't go back to the system that condemned you. Right? Follow the simplicity in Christ. Follow the simplicity in Christ. Paul is telling them the same thing here. Don't chase these false teachers who are seeking after worldly wisdom and worldly philosophy. The world never got you anywhere closer to Christ. Stay with the simplicity of Christ. Continue in the faith, the profession of faith that you made. And that proves the genuineness of our faith. Paul is urging them to keep the faith, to continue on until the end. We really need this admonition today, don't we? We live in a day of great falling away. I mean, big name Christians, famous pastors, are being drawn away into such perversion and, and utter, just unorthodox teaching. I mean, just 20 years ago, right, Christianity at large celebrated. I'm drawing a blank on his name now. Rick Warren. He was the big name in evangelical Christianity. Now he's ordaining women pastors in his church. All these Christian bands that. We're professing Christians who are now coming out as atheists and and pro-LGBT and actually homosexual themselves, right? We live in a day of great falling away. Great, famous people, famous people are falling away from the faith, walking away and saying, I don't believe that anymore, right? And boy, are we tempted sometimes if we follow these people to say, oh man, if he fell by the wayside, maybe I'm in trouble too. Or maybe, you know, I, I, I like his teaching. Maybe he's onto something that I'm missing. And they follow these people. No, no. Don't follow people. Follow Christ. I'm going to say this with your pastor gone, I think he'd be okay with it. Don't follow Pastor Graves. Follow Christ. Because Pastor Graves is as susceptible as fault to falling away as Rick Garland is. Right? If you follow him, you will be disappointed and you may be led astray. I'm not saying he's going to fall away. I don't believe he will. I believe he's a good man, a good pastor. But I'm saying, don't follow even the best of men because the best of men are not Jesus Christ. The best of men are still men. But we've come to the Son of God. He has the word of eternal life. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we follow men, we're not following Christ. It's why like Paul, right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, when I stop following Christ, stop following me. That's what he's saying there. That's what he's saying there. Continue on in the faith. We have a cheap grace today in American Christianity that just says, you know, pray a prayer, sign a card, make a profession of faith, and then you can kind of live however you want to. Very popular. It's very popular. Listen, I'm, I'm not for legalism, but I'm not for this Christianity that says, there's no rules. You ever hear that? No rules, just a relationship. I'm married. We have rules. I can't date other ladies. She can't date other fellows. A relationship has rules. Right? So if somebody says to me, oh, I just love Jesus. I don't have any rules. You don't love Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Continue on. Follow after me. Pursue me. That's what he's saying. So Paul's saying, Continue on in the faith. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Pursue him. Follow along right to the end. We need to be urged to press on the faith, steadfast to the end. Paul is telling them to continue in Christ the same way they received him, with order and steadfastness. The love they once had, they need to hold on to. This is the problem in Ephesians, or, uh, Revelation chapter two, right? Church of Ephesus. They lost their first love. They stopped pursuing Christ. They were still a good church, it seemed like, right? He had no bad thing to say about them at all. Read Revelation 2. Commendation after commendation. Man, you find the false teachers and you kick them out of there. Man, you're faithful and you, you you do all these good things. What a great... If we had looked at that church, we'd probably see like a mega church that just had like 10, 20 bus routes and, and large Sunday schools and 10,000 people abused and what a great ministry, college ministry and foreign language ministry. What a great church. But Jesus looked deeper than that. He said, You're doing a lot of good stuff, but you don't love me like you once did. Your love for me has waned. Okay? If we're going to follow Christ the way we received him, we cannot let our love for him wane. Because Christianity, Bible Christianity, is not empty religion. Okay? Some religions you can lose the, the love for Christ and just go through the motions and be okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. No. If we don't love Christ then what we're doing right now is for nothing. Amen. It's for nothing. He's not impressed that we're here in the building on Thursday night. He doesn't care that we drove an hour to get here. He's not impressed by that. If we don't love him, he's, he's not impressed by what we're doing here today. We're not going to fool God with our good works. Okay? We must have a disciplined, steadfast heart that holds on to Christ. Because if we don't, even if we don't need this building, we're gonna fall away. Hey, you can fall away in the building. It's not just the people who followed the Gnostics out the door. That's not the that's not even who's addressing in Revelation, right? They were still inside the church. He's like, you get things right, or I'll come remove your candlestick. You won't be a church to me anymore. But they're doing so much. And Jesus says, I don't care. I don't care what you're doing if you don't love me. We have to love Christ. Did you love Christ when you came to Him? Of course you did. So continue in that love. Did you have faith in Christ when you came to Him? Continue in that faith. Did you come to Christ in simplicity, just by calling on His name? Then continue in that simplicity. Don't go seeking deeper knowledge or higher religious rituals continue with the gospel that you received. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Paul isn't just going to give commands. He's going to give them practical help now to accomplish his commands. So how can they continue in the faith? Well, Paul's going to use a few familiar metaphors in this verse to get that across. So I kind of want to land this plane here in a minute by giving you I've given you the command, right? Continue in the Lord, walk in the Lord, simplicity of the gospel, love for Christ. How do we accomplish that? How do we keep ourselves seeking after Christ and loving him? Well, Paul says we need to be rooted in Christ. Verse seven, rooted and built up in him. So he's gonna use some metaphors, some common metaphors for the Christian life. So we see rooted in Christ. We see that in the parable of the sower, don't we? Right? A true convert uh, takes root and grows and produces fruit, some 30 and some 60 and some 100. Right? So we've got to be rooted in Christ. Christ is pictured in the Bible as what? He's the branch, right? Or he's the vine where the branches, right? We draw nutrients from him. We draw strength from him. We are rooted into him. And everything that we are, everything a branch is, comes from the, 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 the root. It comes from the vine. It comes from, uh, if, if the tree trunk is dead, the branches on the tree are dead also, right? The branches don't subsist alone. And they give nothing to the root. They only take from the root, right? So we give nothing to Christ. Right? He doesn't need anything from us. We don't we don't make him better. You know, I, I, he, I if you've done this before, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I really hate when someone dies and people say, Oh, heaven just got a little bit sweeter. Someone said that when my mom died, and I just I crammed I, I was more upset that he said that than that she died. We give nothing to Christ. Heaven is not a bit sweeter if my mom is there. Okay? Heaven's not gonna be sweeter when I get there. Heaven is sweet because Jesus is there. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. If Jesus were here, this would be heaven. I venture to say that uh, walking with Jesus in in Galilee was the closest thing to heaven earth would probably ever see, right? We give nothing to Jesus. We draw from him. We draw life from him. We draw strength from him. What was the problem in Ephesus? Why did they lost their first love? Because they were disconnected from the root. Yeah. They were doing religious things, but it had nothing to do with, with God. I remember when Jesus was quoting Isaiah? He says, They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Right? We can be in here and talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus, and our hearts are far from Jesus. Okay? How do we fix that? Seek after Jesus. How do you do that? How did you believe in it? I came to him, and I called out to him, and I asked for his grace and mercy and forgiveness, then come to him and say, Jesus, help me love you more. Help me love you better. Help me love you steadfastly each and every day more and more. We we go on in Christ the same way we received Christ. So we must be rooted in him. I'm um, past where I wanted to stop, so let me go ahead and go on quickly here. I'm gonna read this real quickly. John 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from being rooted in Christ. You want to continue on in Christ? You know, you know why people are falling away today? Because they're not rooted to Christ. They're rooted to the fame of their band. That's why they're Christian bangs They get a lot of fame. That's why they're a big megachurch pastor, right? Because they get a lot of money, a lot of fame. They write books. People come to hear them speak. They're doing religious things. Let me tell you something. The best Baptist megachurch pastor who's not walking with Christ is no better than the Pope in Rome. Religious rituals without a heart for God is not equal salvation. It's not equal salvation. So we must be rooted in Christ. We must draw nourishment from him. We do this through reading the scriptures, growing through them, applying what we've read. Listen, no Christian falls away reading his Bible and praying every day. Yeah. Never. I promise you. No one's ever read their Bible and prayed every day, had communion with Christ every day, and then suddenly Monday morning, gets up, I'm going to cheat on my wife and run off, and they never do that. It never happens. That stuff stops first right? They stop abiding in Christ first. No church split ever happens on a Sunday night. It happens before that, as the Christians are living worldly lives, living by worldly philosophy, not disciplined, not steadfast, not following Christ. Like I said, what you do in your personal life comes into the church. The church split doesn't happen Sunday night or Sunday morning. It happens for many, many days leading up to it. Okay? Churches don't turn worldly. Churches don't turn against Bible doctrine on Wednesday night or Thursday night or Sunday morning. They do it in the lives of people. Amen. And by the way, this church will never be a God-glorifying, God-honoring, Christ-exalting church on Sunday and Thursday. It's going to happen Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday and Saturday in your lives. Amen. As you seek and treasure Christ, and you bring that here, and then you guys together seek and treasure Christ. Yeah. It can't be created on church day. Secondly, we need to be built up in Christ, rooted and built up in Him. This metaphor reminds me of that we are a temple of God. 1 Peter 2 5. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 20, that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're to be built up in Christ. We see it again in Ephesians 2, 19 22, 2 Corinthians 6.16 as temples of God, we are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the profession of our faith in Christ. That's the, that's the foundation of our salvation. And then we build upon that foundation. Okay? Now, let me tell you, everybody builds on the foundation. Everybody. Some gold, silver, precious stones, some wood, hay, and stubble. Okay? You say, well, what's, what's the difference? I'm going to get biblical with you, just about this. The wood, hay, and stubble is not people who are out living in the world. That's Christians. Building on the foundation of their profession. They're saved people. The difference is, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the motive for what why they do what they do. The motive. If they don't love Christ, if they're not rooted to Christ, if they're doing it for show, for self-glory, right? They're doing it for religious ritual. They're building with wood, hay, and stubble. And one day when God judges their works, they're gonna be burned up. They're not gonna have anything to show for their life with the gold, silver, precious stones. Those are Christians who are out of love for Christ, serving him, seeking to exalt and glorify him. We're all building on the foundation of Christ. We we must be built up in Christ, rooted in him, drawing from him spiritual strength and nourishment. And we take that nourishment and strength to build our lives on the foundation of our profession of faith. If you're drawing nourishment from Christ, I promise you what you're building will be Christ honoring gold, silver, precious stones. If you're not connected to the root, what you're building is wood, hay, and stubble. Because you're building in your own strength, for your own glory, for your own self-worth. Number three, stay established in the faith you were taught. Don't follow after another gospel or another Christ. Perseverance means faithfulness to the gospel that we received at first. Draw nourishment from Christ, serve in the strength of that nourishment, and don't cast off the faith that you first received. Or, to put it like Paul does, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's the key to the Christian life. How will we be successful Christians, folks? Let me tell you, it's very simple. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, continue in that way. The simplicity of Christ, the love for Christ, The faith in Christ. Continue in that. And you'll be rooted, you'll be built up, you will be conformed to the image of his son. Keep your order. Listen to me, folks. Keep your order. Keep your discipline. Stay steadfast in your own lives. Or what you're doing here is just a show, and it doesn't matter. You want, I want a christ honoring church back in Bakersfield. But we only get that with Christ honoring people day in and day out. If we don't have love for Christ individually, we're not gonna have love for Christ in the church. If we don't exalt Christ in our lives, we're not gonna come together and exalt Christ. It doesn't happen Sunday. It doesn't happen right now. It happens tomorrow morning when you go to work or you go about your day or you do whatever you're doing. It goes when the bad times come, right? When the trials and temptations come. do we jump back in that cesspool of sin every time we walk past it? Or do we say no? Hey, listen, I'm going to close with it. I promise. Every time I sin, and same for you, every time I sin, what I'm saying with my actions is, I believe that what this sin offers me today is better than what Christ offers me. That's what I'm saying. That's what we're all saying when we give in to sin, when we jump back in that cesspool, we're saying, What I get from this right now is far better than what Christ is offering me. If we're rooted in Christ, if we're seeking all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in God, we're going to see that cesspool. We're going to say, uh-uh. What Christ is offering me is far better than what that is offering me. Okay? And Paul tells these Colossians, he says, hey, that wisdom of the world, that looks good, doesn't it? People like that. People respect that. People come hear you talk with those high-sounding philosophical words and that great religion that you built up, that Gnostic religion. Oh, that's that's great and wonderful. You're gonna draw big crowds. But I can't offer you what Christ can offer you. He has the words of eternal life. He's offered to share his glory with us in the world to come. To seat us in his throne with him. To spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. Listen, what this world offers us cannot compare to that. So church, as you receive Christ Jesus, continue walking in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, evening together. Went a little bit longer than I planned, but I definitely believe it. everything I said. You would have me to say. I strive in the pulpit to never say more than I believe you have for me to say, but never to leave out what I have what you have for me to say. We will never, we'll never follow you with our lives if we're not rooted in you, built up in you. We're going to fall away. This world is enticing. It looks good. It sounds good. It makes a good offer. Oh, help us draw near to you, Help us to continue in that faith that we received. It's so simple, isn't it? I came to you because I loved you. Because you loved me first. I believed in you. I have faith. I came to you like a child to a parent. Asking for your hand and guidance. Asking for your forgiveness of sins. The Christian life is not a complex thing. We continue that same way. Holding that same hand. Asking for wisdom where we once asked forgiveness. Asking for guidance and knowledge where we once asked for forgiveness. Oh Lord, help this church to be steadfast. Help these folks here to be steadfast. Help them to realize exalting you is a lifelong process. But it doesn't happen in here, it starts every day when we get out of bed, every moment of our lives. Oh, Lord, give us hearts that are given over to your love. Hearts that are steadfast, fixed on you. Hearts that long for your glory in this world. For your glory in our lives, Lord. I remember the, the the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. May that be the prayer of each of our lives. May that be the prayer of each of our lives. I'm just as susceptible to falling away as anybody else. Better men than me, better preachers than me, men less given to a heart of sin than me have fallen by the wayside. Help me to hold on to you. As I have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, help me to so walk, so continue on in that. We love you tonight, Lord. I trust that we do here on Thursday night in the hot summer seeking wisdom from the word of God but help us love you more help us to love you more than this world more than sin more than ourselves in Jesus name I pray Amen Thank you for joining us for Moments in the Word Lighthouse Gospel Ministries is an outreach ministry focused in street and prison evangelism, as well as reaching the needy with hope and help. To partner with us financially, go to gospelbeacon.org. All donations are tax-deductible. We hope you are blessed and hope you will join us again for Moments in the Word.